Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world in the last two years, I've come to realise that my running motivation directly impacts on what I eat. When I am not motivated, when I'm not training for something specific, I can't eat right. When I haven't got that right goal in sight, I'm an absolute animal in the kitchen. If there was an animal that eats cookies and crisps all the time. Today on Irishman Running Abroad, I'm asking Ireland's best, Sonia Sullivan all of your questions around motivation and nutrition. And we'll also catch up on a packed weekend in athletics around the parishes and across the world with Sonia's athletes from Nike's Union Athletic Club out in Doha for the Diamond League, a young O'Sullivan taking part in the Pac-12 meet in Oregon, and last year's Listener of the Year, Seamus McAteer, running the Straban Half Marathon. But let's start with the big question, Sonia. When do you think... Is it acceptable to wear denim shorts while running? I'd say probably when running for the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you can run in any time you like, but, you know, you're going to get hot and sweaty and then they're going to feel a bit horrible, aren't they? Yeah. Or if you're the guy I saw <laughs> over the weekend, it's while doing your local park run. Like, what motivates a person? This guy was in, like, denim shorts regular t-shirt and a grand, a good looking pair of runners. I don't know if it was a statement against big uh, athletics companies, but he was fully going for it in a denim shorts, jorts, if you will, jean shorts. And I couldn't catch him. He was fast. So I don't know if it's... It's even Yeah, I was like, this guy is, he's, he's legit, like, but are you sure they weren't like, they looked like denim shorts, but they were actually running material? Oh, now there is something. We've got to look into that and see if anybody can track down a pair of running shorts that are built to look like their jean shorts. That would be something. Uh, this, this guy wasn't hanging about. He had a big, long stride on him. Somebody said to me, maybe he was out on a night and forgot about the park run, decided he would cut his jeans down and just get there somehow couldn't break his streak of park runs. I mean, there had to be a story behind it. Uh, you, you, had, you had an exceptionally busy weekend, Sonia. Fill us in on uh, what's been happening over there. I did, and I also started off with a park run, but I wanted to ask you about the park run. So when you got home then, did you kind of look up and see who this guy was, like I do? When, when there's something curious in a park run, and you can tell just about how many places he was in front of you. And then you, you go and you look him up and then you go to Strava and you look him up even more. <laughs> <laughs> you do a, a bit of investigation work. I, so I, I do this all the time. I, do, I have to say I do it too. I mean, I, I lost track of him. I, I knew that he was ahead of me and that I couldn't catch him. There were, thir there were 29 people ahead of me and I went down through. There's also a couple of people that are unknowns. Now, if ever there was a fella who's kind of... <laughs> Like the incredible whole David Banner not revealing his identity. I'd imagine it's this guy because I couldn't find him. But I did meet a man afterwards who had run 312 park runs. And the fella that won it, won it in like just under 15 minutes. So like, it's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous time, right? 
And, oh, that's very fast. Yeah. Yeah. What was his name? I, I, I must find his name. I should have all these names lined up. But I was very proud of my own run, I'll be honest with you. It's the closest I've come to breaking 20 for an actual park run uh, it, like, ever got inside. Yeah, no, that was, a, that was a great run. You were flying around there. Uh, were you wearing the fast shoes? Was it dry enough to wear the fast shoes? I was wearing the fast shoes and it's a brand new course around there, the St. Albans Park Run, if people want to in the area, come down. It's nice and fast. There's a good bit of downhill on it. But there is a climb to finish, which is a bit of a, a backbreaker when you're trying to, you know, eke out those last few seconds. Oh, yeah. But yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. Where was your part? So I'm at the Rock Creek Park Run, which is the only one that I can get to in America. The only one I've ever been to in America. Like, they're very kind of rare over here. They're, they're rare things. Really? And, um, oh, yeah, they're, they haven't really caught on here yet. And um, any that are here, I believe are run by volunteers who are primarily will be from England and they'd have a lot of supporters from Ireland. So this one, well, it was funny, I got the picture of your, you sent over a picture of your park run in the lovely sunshine. I was looking out the window and it was very Portland rain. It was absolutely mm. tipping it down. And uh, but I had my mind made up. I was going to do the park run. I had the barcode in my pocket and I thought, well, I've got to do something this morning because uh, I knew I was driving up to Eugene in the afternoon to the Pac-12 championships to watch Sophie run. And um, so I headed over there and amazingly when I got there, the rain stopped and there was 35 runners turned up. But there was one particular fella who was very impressive because this park run is not very easy. It's got a bit of a hill in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's all on foot. It's all on footpaths. It goes out and back. And we we're running up this kind of little bit of a corkscrew hill. And this fella comes running alongside me and He's pushing a prom, a buggy, a full-on, like, uh, three-wheeler, you know, off-road buggy. Yeah. Obviously with a little child inside. <laughs> and I looked over and I said, oh, man, I said, that's just way too impressive. He's <laughs> yeah. coming up the hill. <laughs> now, he did get a bit of a moment on the way back. He would have had the, you know, the, the pram pulls you along. <laughs> like, pushing it up the hill, that's the hard work. Once you get up there, come back down here and he managed to get under 20 minutes oh my god was very good and um, did you catch yeah, his no, name that's really impressive yes his name was is uh dearman melden and then the one thing i was wondering about in the pram like was it a boy or a girl <laughs> obviously they were finishing in front of me and, and you know on the rare occasion that i'm actually going to be the first female in and kind of thinking uh no i'm not going to be beaten by a little by child a baby. in the pram <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a boy, and um, I had photos taken afterwards with his with his mum also, who I'm not sure I got her name, maybe Roisin, and the the boy, his name was Kuan. We had a bit of practice to get this right now, and I said I need to start um, CU A father N, and lovely little fellow, he was very happy, and I said he can't wait to get out and start running himself. Yeah, lovely, lovely stuff. Now, obviously, uh, Jessica Hull had a different experience. She was out uh, in Doha. Uh, did you stay up to watch it? What time was was her race at? Did you get to see it live or did you just catch a replay afterwards? Because she obviously had a huge performance. She had a great performance. The conditions weren't great in Doha at the Diamond League. It was really windy out there. So, of course, it throws all plans out the window. People running fast, which is what everybody likes to do these days. But there was already no pacemaker assigned for this race. But Jess was quite happy with that. She just wanted to get involved in the race and... Uh, her main objective was to get the highest finish that she'd ever had. 
at a Diamond League race. Mm. And we were lucky enough it was done at um, 9 a.m. on Friday morning. So I decided I was going to take my time getting up on Friday morning <laughs> and watch the track meet and before heading off over to um, supervise some training at the Michael Johnson track. So it was a very pleasant morning and I had um, a friend of mine who I'm actually staying with her at the moment when I'm in Portland and Leon Fitzpatrick. She's been very kind. I've stayed in her house a few times when she's traveling and um, like between stints at the moment of where I am. So kind of hard to, I suppose, commit to staying anywhere or permanent. And mm. um, so, yeah, she's been kind enough to let me stay with her. She works at Nike as well. And, and she joined me to watch the track meet. So it was great to have company at nine o'clock on a Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment at Nike, the employees, they generally go in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So the campus is very busy in the middle of the week and you have to be lucky to get a car parking space. And then Monday and Friday, they don't have to go in. So it's what? easy enough to get over there. A three-day week. Yep. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's living the dream. What is that about? Is that just a total uh, result of COVID? They've realized, actually, you can work from home two days. There's no need to be here all five. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's great when you have to go to campus on a Monday and Friday because you can park anywhere. Uh, I went to the gym in the afternoon and there was absolutely nobody over there. It's like you had the space all to yourself. Very nice. Um, and, but then during the week, you're looking for a, a car parking space and you're thinking, where will I park? And then Sophie was with me last week and we were driving around and I see all these spaces and they had names on them. And there was one for Elliot Kipchoge and I thought, oh, sure, he's not coming in today. So <laughs> we go there. I'm fairly sure he's busy at the moment. So we went to Delhi at Spark. Now, the funny thing about that is I went over to the track and we were having a good laugh about it. And who who we were going to park in next week, you know, we thought we might go for Marcus Rashford. He's probably not over here either. <laughs> exactly. It turns out that these parking spots, which, you know, names of famous athletes, they're actually executive parking. Phil Knight so, yeah, pulling his hair out. <laughs> Why, so who is this? Apparently, apparently Phil in night parks under Michael Jordan so I was warned whatever you do don't park there <laughs> very good so you mentioned Sophie was with you and we we touched on it last week the Pac-12 big uh, NCAA event that she was taking part in now when she's taking part tell me this are you uh, of like Tina's mother when she's watching Galway play hurling or football grabs the person next to them and squeezes their arm while screaming at the top of her lungs are you that type of spectator when it's uh, one of your own offspring taking part? Or are you just the silent, absolutely dying inside with nerves? Person? No, I just sit back and enjoy it. I mean, I think if I have a good feeling, you know, let's say she looks like she's happy and relaxed and, you know, going to run well, then I just get the stopwatch out and tape the split every lap and see how she's going. She did very good on the in the 1500 on Friday, which I didn't get to see because I was still up in Portland mm-hmm. and she ran her personal best 417. Fantastic. And then on Saturday, she ran the 800. So, you know, in ideal conditions, she probably would have only run the 1500, but she would be down for both because she's at a state where she doesn't know what she's better at. Mm. So she was giving herself every opportunity to make the final. And she ran very good in the 800. She ran 206, but didn't make the final. 
And then she came to run the final on Sunday and she was fairly wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, mean, she, yeah. she was very upbeat and she was very, you know, confident she was going to get out there and run well. And it wasn't a super fast race to start with, but I think she kind of used up a lot of her, I suppose, racing energy. And, yeah. you know, running a fast 800 would take it out here. You think it's only 800 meters, how tired can you get? But it's different energy. And she ran as fast as she's capable of at the moment. So she was fairly wiped out on Sunday. Um, so she was really annoyed with herself. Then she decided she was going to run the four by four. And I was messaging her and I was saying, are you coming to sit with me for the 5,000 meters? We went, I went to watch them with her. And I was getting no replies. I didn't know what is she doing? <laughs> they did see her after the race, and then she went. She went outside and to do a little bit of a jog, and then I was sitting there, and a friend of mine had come along and sat beside me, and um, and next thing, Sophie turned up out on the track, ready to run the four by four. So, ah, I thought, so oh, just, this is a bonus. <laughs> I think she just wanted to get something positive out of the day, yeah. and she still felt like she had something left in her. Mm. And how hard could one fast lap at a track be? So exactly. She went out and she ran fifty fifty sevens. Second, so that was decent enough. So she was happy enough with her weekend's work, and and it was great to see her, and also to see you know some of her teammates out there. And um, there's a there was a runner from Ireland, Brian Fay, runs for the University of Washington. And if you get a chance, uh, I'll send it to you later. But he won the steeplechase on Saturday, and it's the funniest thing ever. I mean, he just skips over the hurdles, like the old style way that the Kenyans used to do it. There's one Kenyan in particular, I can't think of his name, but he used to really skip over the hurdles. And Brian does exactly that. And then he runs the last 200 meters of the race, like there's no hurdles at all in front of him. Really? So he won that, yeah, he won that race. And then he was in the 1500, but he'd obviously lost, taking too much out of himself in the 3000, so he couldn't back up either. But, you know, they're all out there trying to do the best for their team. Um, that's what they do in the conferences over here, and they all have a bit of fun. And uh, and then they had a big five-hour drive back to Washington oh, last Lord. night. I mean, that's the part nobody hears about is the travel. But it's always it's always great to catch up on uh, what where you are in the world, Sonia, and what the hell is going on with you and your athletes. It's a great way to start the show every week wherever you are listening to this there's you know we want to hear about what's happening in your neighborhood in your parish uh, so why not get in touch with the show irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com uh, we also have an offer i believe sonia for uh, our, our american listeners you wanted to give this a shout out did you oh yeah so the second diamond oh no actually the third diamond league of the season the prefontaine track classic is, takes place on May the 28th in Eugene, Oregon, which is where I was yesterday at Hayward Field. And it's the same stadium where the World Championships are taking place this summer. So I know there's a number of Irish people based in Portland at the moment, and a few of them are going to be here for the World Championships, but a few are also heading home. Um, but the Union Athletic Clubs has a section in the Prefontaine Classic where you can get tickets for just $25. Mm. So I think that's a great deal. Um, so if anyone's interested, you can go to the Union Athletic Club Instagram page and there's a link in there to, to get some, like, what good value tickets. Yeah, for, there's a little know, promo code in the world. Yeah, promo code there uh, is UAC22PRE. You can find it there on their Instagram page. So please do that. 
So, Sonia, we really need to dig into these questions because I've sent a few of them on to you and there's quite a few. I think we'll go with Paul Brennan for the first one of these nutrition and motivation questions because it's the perfect hybrid of the two. Paul Brennan starts us off with a question uh, that kind of connects them both up. He says, hey, I've seen nervous energy be a race destroyer. He recommends two pints uh, or a glass of wine the night before a big race to ensure more relaxation and a better chance of a good night's sleep. Is this how it works at Union Athletic Club, Sonia? Does somebody have to tip out for a bag of cans the night before a big track meet so that everybody gets a good night's sleep? Or is there a more sophisticated method than what Paul is looking at here? Because I do believe a glass of wine on a night that I'm very nervous before a gig does really work in terms of getting sleep. And is there a nutritional answer for people out there who do struggle to sleep the night before big races? Well, I think, you know, it would be nice to have a glass of wine or a few pints, but, you know, the, that kind of accumulates over time. And it's probably not a good idea once you start racing around the circuit. And I mean, I think there was a time, so years ago, I, towards the end of the track season, people would probably have a glass of wine maybe, and they'd be a bit more relaxed. And they'd sleep them out and, but actually it wouldn't be the night before the race. It would be the, the mm. day after, the night after the race. And that would be to get, to be able to sleep as well, because it would just take the edge off when you get yourself so hyped up and energized and you run a race and then you come back and you're still on a high that you need to bring yourself down a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was probably a little bit different. So I think, you know, when you're training hard, you're, you know, you're all on the clean fuel, clean energy. Uh, I think we'd skip the glass of wine and maybe go for some kind of herbal tea. Might be something. Yeah. Um, some, I mean, there is melatonin. Have, have you ever come across that? I have come across it, but I'm not sure how readily available that is on this side of the Atlantic. I remember getting it when I was in Minnesota and like obviously in a huge vat of tablets that they provide, like this tub of tablets had like 500 pills of it. But over here, I'm not even sure they're allowed to sell that without prescription. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, because I'm the same. I tend to stock up on it when I'm over here and then I try not to depend on it too much mm. um when i'm traveling but i do i do use it probably more so after a flight where you're you know waking up at odd hours and you're trying to get over the time difference and things like that but i tend to keep it in my bag and not out and you know readily available and <laughs> i don't want to be addicted to it not that i don't know it's terrible i think and it shouldn't be that bad for you well but the other thing i, I do, like I, is the banana uh, it's always good oh yeah and that also contains some melatonin it does, yeah. So do you go looking for foods with melatonin in it? And then I think we talked about this before. Cherry juice is good. There's a tart cherry juice that yes. you can have before you go to bed. And that's very good as well to help you to knock you out a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have any like tips for uh this specifically, whereas I would have had tips in terms of shows that I felt really anxious about the day before. Sleeping was a, a problem. And I definitely think that all of the advice that we get nowadays is the sooner you get off your screen, the better that if I know you, you don't bring the screen into the room. You make sure it's downstairs. Is that right? Yep. So I tend to turn, I even turn my phone off at nighttime. I give the phone a rest, you know, and turn it completely mm. off. Mm. Um, 
And yeah, and I will leave it downstairs or in another room. And the same with the the iPad or laptop. I just turn them down. I don't want anything to do with them. So I think that definitely helps a lot. And that, so with doing that, then I would always have a book beside me to read. Hmm. And I was struggling with a book there recently. And I was determined to get to the end of it. And I still haven't now. I've kind of moved on. It was, <laughs> it's called Under Under the Banner of Heaven. Have you heard of that at all? No, I don't know. about this before. I don't know. I've got the new John it's, Connell book in front of me here. But what's this one? So this one is about, oh, it's all about Mormon religion. And there's actually a thing on, it's on, it's on a TV channel over here called Hulu. I don't know. It would be on some other. It's not on Netflix yet, yeah, this, but it might be on something else. This is quite an book. It came out in 2003, it says here. Yeah. So I had three books from this guy. So one is Into the Wild, I think oh, it's yeah. called. And that and that's really good. And it's a short, it's an easy book. And then he's written this other book, Under the Manor of Heaven, which Frank O'Mara told me was one of his favorite books. Hmm. So I went to the shop and I got it. There's a great bookshop in Oregon called Powell's, and they have all these secondhand bookshop books. And so you can go and you can choose, you know, how good of a condition you want your secondhand book or if you want a new one. But you always get good prices for them. So I bought that. And then I also bought another one he wrote called Into Thin Air. So I had both of these books and I um, Under the Manor of Heaven with me when I went to Ireland. So I was re- I've been reading this thing for months. <laughs> it's taken me a long time. Part of the part of the problem is that I, o- I generally only read it when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been pretty it's been very good at sending me to sleep i just get tired of it well uh i wondered if uh the old method that we used to, our parents used to do on us which was the warm bath before bed to get the kids to sleep there was a great belief that that was how you got a kid to sleep was you let them have a bath before bed and then they'd conk out does that is there anything to that? And do you know of any athletes that observe that? I think athletes might do every now and then, but as a combination of recovery, maybe Epsom salts bath after a good week of training, uh, maybe after a race. I, I don't think it's a regular thing, but every now and then I think athletes would do that. I think it's a bit of a big effort for people to fill up the bathtub. You know, it's a lot of water. <laughs> it um, is. It is, especially when you're trying to be conscious of waste and all the rest of it. Thanks to Paul yes. Brennan for his for his suggestion there. Let's move on to Rory Keneally, who in some ways is the motivation for this episode. He got in touch to say that he ran an incredible 5K time last year of 1906. Fair play to you, Rory, and haven't been able to get back going since. Any motivational suggestions would be greatly appreciated from a big fan of the show, Rory Keneally. Now, I think a lot of people can relate to this, Sonia, that they put all their chips on one big PB or uh, a London marathon. I bumped into a comedian, Stephen Carlin, over the weekend who told me, looking in unbelievable shape. I was like, what have you done? He said, I ran the London marathon, but now he can't start running at all anymore. Uh, he says he couldn't get himself <laughs> to go out the door because he was like, I, I'm feeling like toast. He just said, I just kind of flatlined with the thing. What would you say to somebody like Stephen or uh, Rory Keneally here where they've achieved what they wanted? And now we're struggling to get back to it motivation wise. Yeah, I think it's that's when you have time. You have to have a little bit of a reset and you have to, I suppose, take a realistic view of where you're at right now. Because sometimes when you go out there and you have a big achievement, particularly a marathon, 
there's there's a bit of a letdown afterwards. And it's hard to, you know, put your mind back into the regular routine training, the specific training to get you to even complete the marathon. Mm. So you can kind of let it all go. And like you said before, you know, when you're not tuned into the running routine, the, the diet routine, the sleeping routine, everything is kind of off a little bit. Mm. So you're not really focused and even, and your body knows that and your mind knows that. So you're only kind of half-heartedly doing things. So the, the best way to do it is to take a, and look at where you're at right now. You know, Rory, he'd be looking at, I ran 1906, so I should be able to do that again. And every time he goes out there, he's probably trying to run 1906, but he may only be in 21 minute shape. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to take a bit of a step back and where I find this a lot is if I run a park run and I come in and I think, oh my gosh, that felt much harder than it should. So then you go with that time and you kind of think, okay, well, this is probably where I'm at right now, even though I've run a minute faster or more. You think, okay, this is where I'm at right now. So I need to reset my, my training paces. And all of a sudden your training paces are a lot slower than what you've been doing. Yeah. So you pull yourself too. back a little bit. And particularly when you do the threshold sessions, you just do them at your current shape rather than the shape you want to be in. And you actually find that it's pretty easy to do it. So you go out there and you do something like five or six times three minutes or five times a K at your current threshold pace. And you can easily calculate it if you have like a park run time or whatever your most recent, you know, competitive run was, whether it's 5k or 10k or half marathon. And then you use that for a few weeks to reset yourself. And, and then you get yourself back into the routine again. But I think you have to kind of make a bit of a stand step back and say, okay, where am I at right now? And where do I want to be? And as we've said over and over again, oftentimes in order to get faster, you have to run slower. Yeah. And all of the things you've said here are, are equally th- things that probably Rory has felt not made sense of that, as you say, he's run 1906 and he hasn't thought to himself, well, now I need to go slower in order to go faster. Mm-hmm. And that the that impetuous little bit of an ego uh, <laughs> that's in us all to be like, now I'm at this level can sometimes trip you up and, and kill your motivation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so I think you're trying too hard. And when you're trying too hard, you're constantly defeating yourself every time you go out there. Mm. So I think you have to find what you're capable of and then work with that. And then if you do it over and over again, then eventually you become better at it. And then you can step up a level to the next level. Well, we've got so many great questions in, including Evelyn Barrett, who uh, is training at the moment for the Cork Half Marathon. We're going to hear her question about strength training after uh, having had a baby. Now, I know that's a question that comes in quite a bit. And Sonia's got quite a bit of experience of training after having babies. We'll hear Evelyn's question in the second half of the show. We've Anne from South Africa talking about what to eat after you go uh, running. She she wants an answer on that one. We'll have Sonia's tip of the week. Uh, we'll go around the parishes. But uh, I want to give a shout out before we go to our emailer of the week. Uh, and he is Sean. 
who is down in Australia. And this is a, just a lovely email to get because Sean's story is quite similar to my own. He said he ACL repairs on both knees and multiple cartilage injuries, too, from playing hurling and football in his younger days. He says he was told by a surgeon back in Ireland and also one in Sydney, where he now lives, that he wasn't to run. Never, never do it again. And unfortunately, he says he listened to them for nine years. A year ago, listening to the podcast, he decided to go for a run with his wife, who's an avid runner. The knees held up pretty well. And then I found a physio who gave me exercises to help me manage the old injuries and have been running pain free ever since. Did my first 10k last December, my first half marathon in Hobart in January, and I'm coming home to Cork for the marathon on the 5th of June, my first and hometown marathon. The fact that this time last year, I didn't think I could run around the block. It's a brilliant feeling. So fingers crossed, I'll be running the marathon soon. He says he's really enjoyed the tips from uh, Sonia each week. And uh, I said, Sonia, this is a man that definitely deserves an Irishman running abroad singlet. We're going to I'm going to pass on your email to Sonia directly, Sean, because he's asked for a bit of advice on his marathon training, which is very specific advice that probably needs a bit more careful consideration. But Sean, congratulations to you. You're getting our email of the week. Irishman running abroad singlet and uh, congratulations on that. What a turnaround, eh? Hey, that's fantastic. It, you know, to be able to go from not running at all to, you know, preparing for a marathon is fabulous. It just shows you, you know, with time and I suppose just managing things, you can do a lot of things yeah. um, and you just have to find the level and working out how you can run. Yeah, uh, Sean, Sean Hodgkins, an example to us all. Uh, we'll be back over on Patreon for the second half of this discussion with Sonia and answering more of your questions. Uh, Patreon, I mean, I've said it a couple of times, but I need to say it again. Irishman running abroad can't go on anymore without your support over there. So please consider availing of our May offer of 15 percent off. It's never been a better time to save a couple of quid and you'll get access to all of our episodes going right back to day one in 2013. That's hundreds of hours of listening. If you're training for a marathon, let us come with you. We'll see you over there. Thanks, Sonia. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress.